This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. As we come to the end of 2023, we find ourselves in the familiar position of wrapping up the year. And what better way than to talk about some of our favorite things? From the year in TV, movies, and music, we'll talk about our very favorite things from the sublime to the slightly ridiculous. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. And today on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about our favorite things of 2023. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Breast cancer cells multiply faster because of CDK4-6 proteins. But what if blocking those proteins and stopping runaway cell division was possible? Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Dana-Farber's momentum of discovery keeps finding new ways to outmaneuver cancer. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Linda Holmes with a quick but very sincere thank you to our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus supporters and anyone listening who donates to public media. After all, public media means you, the public, support it. Everything you hear from the NPR network really cannot exist without your contributions. For anyone listening who isn't a supporter yet, right now is a great time to change that, for you to get invested in creating a more informed public. That's our whole mission at NPR. That's why we're here. If you like perks, Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus offers sponsor-free episodes. If you want to make a tax-deductible donation to your favorite station or stations in the NPR network, that is great, too. What really matters is that you are part of the community that makes this work possible. Teams across the NPR network need resources to do their best work, and those resources cost money. We need microphones. I'm talking into one right now. Laptops, software, whatever amount you can pitch in makes a real difference. So please give today at donate.npr.org slash happy or explore NPR plus at plus.npr.org. And thank you. 
Joining us today are co-hosts Glenn Weldon and Aisha Harris. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Linda. Hey, Aisha. Hey, Linda. Well, this is pretty straightforward, and we're going to get right to it in a second. I assume that you guys, like me, feel like this year was full of strange interruptions and yet still full of lovely things. Yes? Yeah. I'm looking over my list here. I'm not seeing lots that's sublime. I'm mostly ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. I had a hard time narrowing it down this year, actually. Yeah. It was kind of tough. I was like, oh, only three, if only just one more. How will I fit in cocaine bear? Yeah. <laughs> and we should spoil also that none of us pick sublime from Barbies. So. Well, and I, I will say, you know, this is why I make a list of 50 wonderful things at the end of most years is that I have way more than three. So I really had to pick like three that I super wanted to share and talk about. And none of them are going to be shocking. But, <laughs> you know... Maybe you haven't heard about these particular things from me before. I'm very excited uh, to talk about them. Stephen, I'm going to start with you. What is your first pick? Well, it was a very strange year in pop music. There wasn't necessarily a lot of new pop juggernauts that dropped. A lot of the biggest albums of the year actually came out last year. The Taylor Swift record, the SZA record. The one like big, big, mile-wide, monoculture pop music juggernaut that dropped in 2023 was Olivia Rodrigo's album Guts. And a lot of people love that record. I am one of those people. And my favorite moment on this record, a moment that has just cracked me up and made me smile over and over again, is the moment in the song Get Him Back when Olivia Rodrigo says the following. The line, I want to meet his mom and tell her her son sucks, is a very, very funny sentiment. And relatable. And and totally relatable and dispensed with this exactly right phrasing. I think she is such an interesting artist. I think it's fascinating the way her sound is able to pull from a lot of different influences. But what really hammers home how fun this record is, is these little bits of just sparkling humor. And that moment in that song is my favorite example. Amazing. That is by far one of my favorite songs off the album. It just is giving that sort of like Avril vibe, Mm -hmm. Avril Lavigne vibe that I remember when I was around her age being really into. And I think there's just this real kind of, you know, like you were saying, Stephen, there's this real kind of like um, the influences are there in part because not that it's a universal experience, but it is a very relatable experience for a lot of people, regardless of what generation you're coming from, of like wanting to just having so much uh, (laughs) anger at someone you previously loved or cared about, but also wanting to exact revenge. It's just so fun. Yeah, I agree. I like it. It's also very, very easy to like chair dance too. So I need (laughs) one of those every year from Steven. So that's Olivia Rodrigo's song, Get Him Back. Aisha, I'm going to go to you next. I love this one. I almost (laughs) forgot about this, and I'm so glad uh, that you picked it. Tell me about it. (laughs) Okay, so this was a fantastic year for musical theater kid energy, whether we're talking about Schmigadoon season two, I'm Just Ken and Barbie, Only Murders in the Building season three, and of course, the charming mockumentary theater camp. But one ruled above them all in terms of charm, exuberance, and memeability, and that is this moment. Jamie Lee, you are all of us. One of us is here alone. 
All these queens, we need a bigger throne. House of Bathtub, the vibe is strong. Be true to you. You can't go wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that is Ariana DeBose, <laughs> who opened this year's BAFTA Awards with the most over-the-top, ridiculous uh, musical number that actually starts with a cover of Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. Yeah, and in that scene, she's dancing, there are chairs, there's a lot of action going on. But then she breaks down into a rap with lyrics that she co-wrote. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's hard to write a song where you just have to name people and like name check people and also make it rhyme and also make it sort of make sense. So you're already starting at kind of a high place there. High, You have a high bar to clear. And then, you know, after having danced with chairs, she's going to be a little out of breath. And that's part of what is really what makes this so fantastic because she is still hitting every lyric, it seems like. She doesn't miss the cue. She's not behind. So points to her. She deserves all the awards. She is just doing the most. And on top of that, the lyrics are cringe. Uh, we just heard, of course, Angela Bassett did the thing. I did hear that. <laughs> Viola Davis by Woman King. Mm-hmm. Also, Jamie Lee, we, you were all of us. Sure. Sure. Yeah. She, yeah, is. she is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's it's just, I really loved the, the fact that this was so, uh, it took the internet by storm. It made me love Ariana DeBose even more, which I didn't think was possible. Musical theater kid energy. Love it. And love Ariana DeBose. And uh, she followed that up. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the equally important thing is she did this. People accused her of cringe, of try hard. She reacted to those accusations in exactly the way that completely diffuses those accusations by just doubling down, by just embracing it. Oh, yeah. By just saying, yes, of course. And and a loving the meme that arose from it. This is how you this is how you diffuse accusations of cringe by just going full bore. She even turned it into merch. Yep. yep. Uh, the proceeds uh, went towards a trans and queer nonprofit uh, group. So it, it all came out for the good. Right. (laughs) Yep. That is my 2023 definition of indefatigable. (laughs) All right. So that is Angela Bassett doing the thing. Glenn, I'm going to go to you for your first pick. Sure. I worry that the HBO series Succession, which ended this year, has vanished from the cultural conversation so quickly. I mean, that's to be expected. It's a show that ends. But man, I worry this thing's going to get memory hold. And I'm glad it's going to pop up on a lot of best of uh, lists at the end of the year. But I think just attention must be paid. We have talked incessantly about the acting, the Jeremy Strong of it all. But have we talked enough about the line-by-line writing of the show, which I just miss like a pang? Um, The dialogue in Succession is used to delineate and define character and feed the plot. It is not there simply to feed the plot. It's a vibe. You spend time with these characters just to kind of feel who they are. Matthew McFadden plays Tom Wamsgans, and he is, you know, a real worm, a striver, uh, and someone who's married into money on this show, and he has immediately assumed this kind of insular, imperious, debagginess of the very, very rich, right? He took to it like a prick to water, and equally importantly, the show shows him lording it over everyone he can. And... The brilliant thing about the show, of course, is that, unfortunately for him, the only one he can really lord it over is Cousin Greg, <laughs> played by Nicholas Braun. Uh-huh. And in this scene, Tom tells Greg that the date that Greg brought to the event does not belong at the event, and that everyone is laughing at her behind her back. Why? Why? Because she's brought a ludicrously capacious bag. What? What's even in there? Huh? Flat shoes for the subway, her lunch pail. I mean, Greg, it's monstrous. It's gargantuan. You could take it camping. 
you could slide it across the floor after a bank job. Well, whatever. <laughs> How perfect is that? <laughs> it is showing us that he's a snide, sneering jerk, but it's not simply doing that. It's also showing us that he could bring a lot of startling specificity. And it's so perfect that, of course, he would pick something completely random because he needs to pick something. He needs to win over Greg in that moment. So he's going to pick a thing. And then just build and build and build on it so insufferably and so hilariously. I'm going to miss this show. I think that sequence is also a really good example of how that show is sometimes able to play with the difference between being rich and being deeply wealthy. Yeah. Because Mm. the bag that she has brought is a – I believe it's a Burberry. Yeah. It's a perfectly fancy bag. It's just not appropriate. Yeah. And (sighs) it is big. It is a big bag that she's carrying around at an inside event, and it looks a little ludicrously capacious, you know, (laughs) despite the fact that she's probably very proud of that bag Mm -hmm. because not everybody has Roy money. This is it. He's like the roving eye of Sauron, right? He's (laughs) finding the thing. Yes, I'm I'm very glad you chose uh, this. And it's interesting that you are worried about it disappearing. I feel like it's going to be kind of like The Wire Mm -hmm. in a way in that it's going to be taught Mm -hmm. in screenwriting schools for sure. And I think the memes, I, I, I just can't see them going away anytime soon, especially the theme song. But maybe that's just, maybe that's just me. I hope Succession lives a very long and, and, and fruitful afterlife. As do I. It's yeah. great. I think they did a good job bringing it in for a landing, too. So that <laughs> is Succession. We have a couple episodes that we've done about Succession, including one we did about the finale. So you can find those in our feed. My first pick, I was a little bit of a latecomer to Amazon Freebies show Jury Duty, for which the setup is it's a faux reality show, but everybody's an actor except one guy. And it's about all these people who have Jury Duty. So this one regular guy, Ronald, is surrounded by, you know, a bunch of people who are acting ridiculous for his benefit because they're all actors. And it's all set up and it's a fake trial and all that stuff. And among the jurors, they put one Ringer, who is the actor James Marsden playing himself. (laughs) And he has so much fun playing this kind of jerk version of himself. Uh, I brought you a little clip. Sonic. And I'm in that movie Sonic. And I'd like to see if Sonic sucks. You're in the movie Sonic? Yeah. 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 That's the one with the new one with Jim Carrey. Yeah. 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 I heard that was not a good movie. Is it funny or is it supposed to be acting action? As this goes on, there's a bunch of other stuff. He starts quizzing Ronald about. Ronald later tells him that he watched Sonic the Hedgehog. Like after having this conversation, he watched the Sonic movie. And Marson is like, well, did you buy it or rent it? Because, <laughs> of course, he's you know got his eye on the, the payoff. I love this because I am a sucker for a couple of different things in this setup. One is actors playing funny versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm also a sucker for James Marston, who is my pick for underappreciated Hollywood, Mm. like, wonderful star. So I love him. I love this whole kind of setup. This show is so kind of warmly funny. It doesn't come off nearly as mean as it could have, given that setup. It doesn't come off like... Everybody's laughing at what a jerk he is. They just all really like him, and he's so sweet. The reveal at the end where he finds out what's been going on is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, Jury Duty from Amazon Freebie, and we should note that Amazon supports NPR and pays to distribute some NPR content.
That's my first pick. This show is lightning in a bottle. You can't really do a jury duty two, A, because of the setup, but B, mm, because yeah. they lucked out with this Ronald yeah. guy. Man, they lucked out with this guy. They, mm. This could have gone south in so many different ways. Oh, yeah. And that's what keeps a real tension in watching the show because, you know, the James Marsden version of James Marsden is not particularly likable. He's kind of self-centered. And yet Ronald kind of kind of likes him, kind of like... You know, kind of hangs out with him. They make buddies. And they're buddies. <laughs> and the reveal at the end, you're like, how is this going to happen? How is this going to go? It is so warm. And you just feel the sense of relief when the show is over. And it's like, I'm so glad <laughs> I just watched that and it didn't go bad. Often when I'm watching something, watching a series, watching a, especially like a limited series, it's like, I just want somebody to reassure me that they stick the landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll sometimes sit there like feeling anxiety if I'm really enjoying a movie of like, please get the ending right. Please get the ending right. So like you have been warned, they stick the landing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, we're a few months removed now from the ending. Uh, and maybe I'm jinxing it, but so far he has not been milkshake ducked. Like, yeah, it seems like yeah. he's actually still <laughs> a good person. <laughs> he did just get a development deal, um, yes. which, you know, bully for him. Good, good for, for him. him so. yeah. He could be a host of something, I think, for sure. Very good. Anyway, that is my first pick. We are back around to Stephen for his second pick. Stephen, what is your second pick? To me, one of the most welcome developments of 2023, uh, pop culturally speaking, was the rise of new fresh horror franchises. Uh, Sure, it was a year that also tried to feed us the umpteenth reboot of The Exorcist. We don't need an umpteenth reboot of The Exorcist. (laughs) This generation, every generation, deserves its own horror franchises to call its own. And this was a good year for that. The success of Five Nights at Freddy's portends a new franchise. The success of Cocaine Bear. And I love Cocaine Bear. And the movie that really kicked off the year, it was the first movie I saw in 2023, that really suggested that this trend was coming is the movie Megan. And I wanted to highlight a scene from the movie Megan where the doll has, has of course, as this sort of doll does, gone out of control. And the creator the creator of the doll confronts the doll, and this is happening. <gasps> Megan? What are you doing? What Megan is doing is sitting at the piano, <laughs> playing the 1989 hit Toy Soldiers by Martika. And this is this film's version of that thing NPR does where, like, you'll listen to a story about elephants Mm -hmm. and then they'll play, like, Baby Elephant Walk by Henry Mancini. And the listener's like, ooh, I see what they did there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you don't just have a creepy killer doll movie. They manage to explore the concept more than just the dolls out of control. There's commentary in this film about parenting, about hypervigilance, about allowing technology to raise your children, where it's not just a creepy movie or a scary movie. It's also a funny movie told with a certain amount of wit and verve. Yes. (laughs) So it is a rare horror franchise kickoff where I'm like, I'm just ready. I'll walk into Megan 2 tomorrow. Same, same. Yep. There's a universe out there where it's just a, you know, another, it's kind of a take on Chucky, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's... So subversive. It's so funny. And the, you know, the Mary Janes. Mary Janes. Gotta love the Mary Janes. Yeah. I I always respect when they go back to something that, like you say, Glenn, Chucky's been done. The Twilight Zone episode with the ventriloquist dummy has been done. Talky Tina has been done. This whole genre. And yet this felt so fresh. I I completely agree. That's a great pick, Stephen. So that is 
from the movie Megan, also rendered as M3 Gun. <laughs> and we all, I think, liked that movie. And uh, that is Steven's second pick. Aisha, what is your second pick? Well, you know, sometimes the internet can actually uh, bring forth wonderful things. <laughs> and my next pick actually kind of came forth because of the internet. So Juvenile, amazing rapper from the South, 90s, early aughts, back that ass up, classic. Uh, <laughs> one day on Twitter, someone was like, yo, we need an NPR tiny desk for Juvenile. And he's like, WTF is tiny desk. And then it turned into a snowball effect. And he said a number of likes he wanted. I think it was 10,000. Something like that. He's like, give me this many likes and I'll do a tiny desk. And lo and behold, we got a juvenile tiny desk. And rarely have I had a smile on my face for 20 plus minutes straight like I did while watching this tiny desk. I have so many moments I could have chosen. Um, you know, he went through so many classics, 400 degrees, bling bling, slow motion, of course, back that ass up. But I wanted to share a clip of a slower song when when he's like getting a little bit moodier. Um, he has a moment where he sings Rodeo and he brings on the Amours, uh, a duo, and they sing this beautiful ode to exotic dancers. It's like you don't even have nothing on. Got everybody watching you so you can show that thong. It's your birthday, little mama. Get your coat and go. But don't put your door in the world. You in the throat at I just love this. Like, the original version of the song is fine. I don't think it's that memorable but when you bring in an actual band you have the horns in the background and then you have their beautiful melodies mm -hmm. i love it and it just shows how you know tiny desk it, it really does a great job again i know we're, this is npr so we're kind of self-promoting but whatever and you know i just got to shout out our colleague and producer bobby carter who put this together yes. um, and also the entire tiny desk team it, it was just great it made me so happy so juvenile tiny desk I've watched it so many times. <laughs> it is one of my heartbreaks of 2023 that I was out of town when Juvenile played the Tiny Desk, and I missed it. And I I was talking to colleagues about how much I was, how sad I was to be missing it. And several of them helpfully texted me during it to be like, "Hey, guess what? John Batiste is here." <laughs> and I thought they were making it up. But what I love about this performance is he didn't know what a Tiny Desk was. Everyone told him what a Tiny Desk was. He just he kind of deigned to do one. But then he like expended full effort yes. to make it the best tiny desk he could possibly make it and to make it this massive celebration of New Orleans in a way that is just wonderful to behold. Agreed. Absolutely love it. I've watched it, you know, a number of times myself. That is the Juvenile Tiny Desk. You can, of course, find it at npr.org. Uh, that is Aisha's second pick. Glenn, what is your second pick? Well, every summer, the podcast Los Culturistas, which is hosted by Matt Rogers and Bowen Yang, uh, hand out the Los Culturistas Culture Awards. And these categories, like the podcast, like exist in a quantum state that is both dumb and smart. And uh, they range from like best snack, kindest greeting, the water award for necessary thing. Uh, the Muna Award for Hottest Queer, Bridget Jones Award for Best Fake British Accent, the Slouching Toward Bethlehem Award for Cheekest Book to Hold, which is a great <laughs> one, and Best Religion. So they change every year. And the award ceremony is fun. Uh, I certainly hope to attend it someday. It's usually held in the outdoor space of Lincoln Center. But the podcast episodes in which they announce the nominees, I just look forward to every year because they never disappoint. It is my favorite thing because they read out these very silly very dumb, smart categories and nominees with this gravid self-importance <laughs> of Hollywood congratulating itself. 
In the category of scariest moment in history, the nominees are Hereditary Lil Diva Head Come Off. (laughs) (laughs) The Big Bang. Jump scare when you see Mama you knew in college on the street. What? These are the nominees. Um, Now, (laughs) I didn't necessarily want to use an example where they break like they did there because my favorite thing is how mockingly self-serious they are. But who would blame them for breaking at hereditary little <laughs> head come off? Because come on. Yeah, that's very that's funny. Great. I haven't listened to that, Glenn. Now I might have to go back and look for those because that is amazing. Oh, my God. It's so good. All right. Uh, so that is the 2023 Los Culturistas Culture Award nominations. Thank you, Glenn. My second pick, look, one of the things that happens in the current world of television You know, there's just a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily very good and it all kind of runs together. But the other thing that happens is there it is it can be really hard to get people to pay attention to something, even if it is really good. Mm -hmm. Apple has had some really good shows this year. And one of them is this show called Shrinking, which is a Jason Siegel show. And he plays a therapist who is recovering from the loss of his wife. He also has a daughter, like a teenage daughter. And his two colleagues at his therapy office are played by Jessica Williams, who is wonderful in this, and Harrison Ford. (laughs) And discovering this comic gear from Harrison Ford was such an absolute joy for me because when he moved into that, like, action dad phase of his career, he stopped doing very much that was really funny And he stopped doing a lot that was kind of especially, like, silly funny. Mm -hmm. He would still do, like, you know, as Han Solo, you get a certain amount of dryly funny, et cetera. Sure. But uh, I want to play, I want to play this clip. Thank you. Now get in the car. Can we play that song I like? Every morning there's a halo hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four-post bed. That is Jessica Williams and Harrison Ford enthusiastically throwing themselves into singing. Sugar A. Didn't pick it. Sugar A. I mean, the obvious pick is to have it be something like really super current and like maybe with lots of swearing or something like that. That's sort of the obvious, like, wouldn't that be funny move? This is so randomly funny and I laughed so hard the first time I saw this and the other thing I love about this clip is that everybody in this cast has great chemistry with everybody else but this relationship between these two people gets its own tone and attention and great moments and particularly as somebody who loves Harrison Ford like in Working Girl as much as I do seeing this like really charming funny performance from Harrison Ford it made me so, so very happy. Yeah, this is a show that definitely grew on me. I feel as though once you get about four or five episodes in, they really start to click. And I, I do feel like that moment is very, it's kind of up there with Push and Barbie by Matchbox Funny. Yep. <laughs> I was just going to make that exact same point. It was a really good year for perfectly chosen song drops. Yeah, I love it. So again, that's Shrinking. You can find all of the episodes on Apple TV. That is my second pick. We are on to the third round. Stephen Thompson, what is your third and final pick? Well, it was a really, really big year for country music. There was a lot of country music crossover into like the Billboard Top 200, like country songs 
were able to kind of dominate the musical conversation in ways that they haven't in a long time. But two roads converged thematically in a lot of those country songs. There were a lot of country songs that headed in the direction of kind of cultural grievance. Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town, Oliver Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond. Probably the biggest song of the year was by Morgan Wallen, who is is sort of a cultural lightning rod of, of a certain sort. Then when the Country Music Awards handed out Song of the Year, this is what happened. Fast car, Tracy Chapman. So the original version of Fast Car was released in 1988. It is a 35-year-old song. Uh, She became, in that moment, the first black woman to write a song that won Song of the Year at the Country Music Awards. The song was, of course, covered by Luke Combs. was such a breath of fresh air in country music. I've spoken on this show. I've written extensively on the website about my appreciation of the phenomenon of this song and how it represents... First of all, it's maybe my, arguably maybe my favorite song of all time, but also having that song revisited in 2023 on country radio and and being omnipresent on country radio was just such a reminder of what country music can be and what it can do and uh, whose voices it can magnify and elevate. It was a really beautiful and inspiring phenomenon. I mean, there's certainly been an argument about having us having that song covered by Luke Combs. I just am glad to hear it again. I'm glad to have new generations discovering it. And I'm glad to see room being made for Tracy Chapman winning a country mm-hmm. music award. What a world. Yeah, yeah. And she's getting paid because she yep. wrote that song. <laughs> so and she is so getting that helps. paid. <laughs> I can think of few musicians I would more like to see getting lavishly mm-hmm. paid than Tracy Chapman. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That is a, to me, that song is a classic. It is a pliable song that I can imagine being done in lots and lots of different ways. It's a beautiful piece. And and like you, Stephen, I want to see the best for her, for sure. All right. So that is Stephen's third pick, Tracy Chapman winning Song of the Year at the Country Music Awards. Glenn, what is your third and final pick? Yeah, well, I've talked about uh, Dungeons and Drag Queens a couple times this year on this show. It is a four-episode series of a show called Dimension 20, where you just watch performers play D&D on the streaming service uh, or whatever it is, Dropout. Uh, this is a miniseries that features the drag queens Jujubee, Alaska, Monet Exchange, and Bob the Drag Queen. And there's no gimmick to it, really. They're just creating characters who go on an adventure led by the DM, uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan, the Dungeon Master. I'm me, this is drag queens and D&D. So this is peanut butter and chocolate, <laughs> this show. The queens are brand new to D&D and Mulligan is so eager and they are so game. They they approach it in their kind of jaded drag queen way at the beginning, but then you watch them over the course of four episodes, discover the joy, getting more and more into it, more passionate, more enthralled by what a great job Mulligan is doing because it is so easy to get distracted by the queens because these are some big personalities. This is some big hair. But as someone who plays D&D, it is just astonishing to see how well Mulligan herds these cats And creates an adventure that works over the course of just four episodes, you know. In this clip, Jujubee's character, uh, she plays a fairy, by which I mean Pixie, uh, named Twyla. Twyla has been laboring under the delusion that she has the spell Invisibility, that she can cast on herself. But this is the moment when she learns that she has never had the spell Invisibility. (laughs) 
Twilight this entire time thought she had invisibility. Which, expi which explains a lot of her odd behavior. Yes. Wait, I can see you. You can see me doing all the things that I've done. We can see you. We cut the back to time, a Mary. Yeah, we come back to a roommate meeting in a giant mushroom. <laughs> That's it. Perfect. Keep it all. <laughs> That's exactly the vibe of the show. It is about discovery. It's about friends having fun, and it's about some drag queens being hilarious. Uh, that's my pick. In the spirit of discovering Dungeons and Dragons, by the way, if I'd had a fourth pick, I would talk about how great that Dungeons and Dragons movie is. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> we are pro Dungeons and Dragons and drag queens. So that is Glenn's third pick, Dungeons and Drag Queens. I am going to have to, I think, seek that out. Aisha, your third pick is something that I have not gotten to see yet. Tell me about it. Yes. So All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt is the remarkable feature debut of Raven Jackson. And this movie is, it's really hard to describe in part because it's such a sensorial, tactile kind of film. There's not really a plot and there's very little dialogue. It's just a lot of emotions, memories, moments that are felt but often left unsaid aloud. And But the basic thread of this film is that it follows the memories of Mac, who is a Black woman living in rural Mississippi with her family. And in adolescence, she's played by Kaylee Nicole Johnson. And as a young adult, uh, she's played by Charlene McClure. Now, there is a scene in this film that has stuck with me since I first saw it at Sundance earlier this year. Um, and I actually have not seen it since. But as soon as the movie ended, I wrote it down in my notes. I was like, this is definitely in contention for one of my favorite things of the year <laughs> already. And we were only like three weeks into the year. And this moment involves an intense reunion between Mac, uh, when she's a little bit older, and her like childhood love slash crush, Wood, who's played by Reginald Helms Jr. And they haven't seen each other in a while. They exchange a few words. They're outside. She, you know, you know, she asks about his kids. And there's just these long, this long look at her. There are no words. Um, just hands, close up on hands and embrace. And I, I wrote exactly in my notes, longest embrace of all time. <sighs> it feels like it because the scene goes on for several minutes where they are just hugging and there are sometimes close ups. There's no music underneath to underscore it. Eventually they let go of each other and he leaves. And it is just it's an entire movie in itself in that one scene. And it really it just moods me so much and the way that it really fits into the rest of this movie and how it's there's so much emphasis on hands and, and moments when she's like fishing with her father as a young girl or tapping her mom's toes like it's just a beautiful movie and that that reunion scene especially is just like what hooked me in you might not find it at your multiplex but hopefully once it lands on streaming um, you should definitely seek it out this is all dirt roads taste of salt directed by raven jackson oh and it's also, I should note, executive produced by uh, Barry Jenkins. So there's definitely also ah. some like the little moonlight vibes mm -hmm. in there. So yeah, definitely, definitely mm -hmm. seek that out. Mm -hmm. I am very excited to seek that out when I get the chance. So that is All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt. And that is Aisha's final pick. My final pick is the film Past Lives. This was also a feature debut for writer and director Celine Song. And it is about a woman named Nora, who is played by Greta Lee, who you might know from like Russian Doll or even The Morning Show, if you watch that. She plays Stella on The Morning Show. She's a wonderful, wonderful actor. I am so fond of her work. And she is married to Arthur, who is played by John Magaro, who is another one of those guys you know from a million different things, First Cow, et cetera. 
And she was growing up in Seoul. And when her family left Seoul and came to Canada, and then she came to the United States, she had this kind of attachment off and on long distance with this boy that she knew as a little girl. And they were, they had been kind of friends and like maybe special friends, but they were so young. But eventually she meets Arthur and marries him and she settles down in New York with Arthur. And then there is this opportunity for this guy, Sung, who is played by Tao Yu, to come to New York and visit. Now, the setup here, which is basically old boyfriend comes to town and sure. you know, potentially disrupts mm-hmm. your marriage, sounds a little bit pat. And my favorite thing about this film is that it is not that story nope. at all. <laughs> There's never really a sense that she's considering leaving her husband. That's not really the question. The question is, how does her relationship with her husband live beside her feelings of loss, her connections to certain parts of her identity, And it's sort of about how do you kind of accept that all these things are part of your life? So this is a scene that's kind of toward the end of the movie. And Nora's husband, Arthur, is sitting with uh, Haesung. And they start to talk about this concept of inyun, which people will say means soulmates. And it doesn't really mean soulmates exactly based on what I understand. But it does have to do with like people who are kind of connected through the threads of their lives in a in a particular kind of way. Do you know what inyon? Yeah. Nora told me about it when we first met. <laughs> you and me. Yeah. Yeah, you and I are inyon too. <laughs> What I love about this is that it is so generous to all of the characters. There is no bad person in this film. There is nobody who's doing anything wrong. I love this movie, and I and I love, you know, that ending and this little conversation about Inyun. Linda, this movie's going to destroy me, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to just gently destroy you. Awesome. It's not bleak. It's sad, but it's only sad in the way that, like, life is Mm -hmm. life, you know? Yeah, Yeah, bleak is not a word I would use to describe it. Not at all. I am going to be pushing hard for it throughout our coverage of awards season because I think it's incredibly brilliant. That is Past Lives. And that is my final pick. And we have come to the end of our 12 favorite things of the year. We want to know about your favorite things from the year. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Stephen Thompson, Glenn Weldon, Aisha Harris. Thanks to all of you for being here, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is produced by Hafsa Fathima and Ramel Wood and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. 
It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.